0: we continue our biblical discourse in matters of race. This sermon was presented to our congregation during the COVID outbreak, which explains Pastor Jim's opening remarks. The social justice movement and critical race theory have recently begun to permeate the church. However, both of these ideas are not found anywhere in the gospel as taught in the Bible. Please listen carefully Today's slice of this week's message, entitled "Overcoming Verbal Riptides." Now, I have been out in the uh, in the the open air uh, on a golf course, and I have uh, seen an osprey, about a oh, about a five foot wingspan or so, attack one of my fellow golfers, swoop down hit him in the head, knocked him off the feet to his ground. He said he thought he'd been hit in the back of the head by a two-by-four. Now, now, I have great respect for that. And when I am out now and I see, a, uh, I see an osprey or one of those birds of prey, uh, I've been known to carry a seven iron. That's the club of choice. But carry it like a lightning rod. So they're going to hit that before they hit me. I have great respect for the danger of them. But you know what? No dove has ever scared me. You get the point? Don't be a scary person, but be a wise person and be purposeful in what you do. Don't go spoiling for an argument. When I was a new Christian, I was pretty sure that argumentation was a spiritual gift and I had it and that's how my dad was going to become a Christian. It took a while to get over that and it wasn't very useful. Don't let people bait you. They will try and, and people will be happy to give you their diatribes. But let them just blow past you and then speak truth in love. Listen and engage with people and make sure they see in you the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Will it always work? No, but it's always the right thing to do. All right, I want to help you overcome verbal riptides. Now, I came up with a list of things that I call common poisonous terminology. It's a not very long list, but some things that I, I, I think maybe it would help you to be alerted to them so that you don't get sucked into them and you don't, get, you don't let people uh, twist the meaning of words uh, with them. Um, I made my list what I thought was pretty short, and I didn't even come close to finishing it in the first service. I don't know if I need to go any farther than, um, than we have time for this morning because I think you'll get the point. But with the disclaimer that I can't possibly be thorough about any of these things, I want to alert you to terminology you will do well to avoid. These are poison-tipped terms. And if you get drawn into discussions in which these terms are being defined in unbiblical ways, you're going to have a hard time getting anywhere. So uh, let, me just, let me just give a few a few of them. All right. Be very wary of... Critical race theory. I've also heard it called critical theory uh, by people who don't want to put the word race in there. And I, and I get that. You know, they don't, want to be, they don't want to be considered racist. Critical race theory is the system that analyzes society by defining the groups that are the haves and the have-nots. Or the oppressed and The oppressors. So, always bifurcating every group of people. Somebody is oppressing somebody else, and you are in one of those two uh, categories, or somebody has more than somebody else, and that's going to be true if you have two people in the room. Um, and, And that is the most important way to define people. Now, understand there really are two broad categories of people in the world there are those who are lost. And those who are saved. And that's the line that we want to get people to move from one side to the other. Well, critical race theory requires rejecting the biblical doctrine of man and of sin. It is social Marxism dressed up in the clothing of a legal concept. Critical race theory, that terminology was actually invented in a a law school. But it is being accepted more and more, not only in the world, but here's why I mention this to you, it is being accepted more and more by people who try to marry it to the gospel, hence the uh, statement on social justice and the gospel. Now, I know some Christians who even say they disagree with the premise of critical race theory but they find it useful as a way of assessing culture. Now, I think that's a bad idea because critical race theory rejects essential biblical doctrine, so it's not a helpful way to evaluate things. You understand, Jesus did not die because people were oppressed. He didn't die because people had been sinned against. He died because... We have sinned against Him. He died because you are eternally guilty of offending God. Uh, the gospel is not about amending and improving social and governmental mores and policies. Now, are there some things that our government says that we don't agree with and that we think are kind of silly and maybe we think is, uh, is irrational and, and really could be improved? Yes, yes. I think there are such things. Are there things in our society that have been passed along from generation to generation that, that really aren't very fair? Yeah. Should we be instruments for, or, or influences for changing those things for the better when we have opportunity? Absolutely we should. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is about sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus and the apostles did not confront Rome. And and by the way, they were under Nero, at least in the time of the Apostle Paul. They confronted sin and they preached the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike. Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, all of those different places. Down in Ethiopia, every place, that was the issue. So uh, critical race theory or or, or critical theory is a minefield, and it's full of redefining legitimate words in unbiblical sort of ways. It redefines man and sin and salvation, among other things. A second group of things to stay away from is identity politics and intersectionality. Now let me give you a definition. Identity politics is the theoretical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities. Now, you know, you, you, you do belong to peoples and tribes and, and, and languages, and, and, and you do have a, a, a background, a family background, an ethnic background, and a school background, all of those things. But you take things like gender, sex, race, class, sexuality, now we're where we have to distinguish between sex and sexuality. Religion, ability, physical appearance, appearance, height, etc. We use all those in identity politics and intersectionality to uh, create unique modes of discrimination and privilege. Oppressor and oppressed, have and have not. Intersectionality is how many of those different boxes. Do you check off? And the more of those realms of oppressed groups that you intersect with, the more you are believed to have to say about what needs to be done to deal with racism. It gets a little esoteric, but it's it's very real. Um, Hey, look, I lived through what was mercifully a relatively short period of time but it was the era of the popularity of the song, Short People Got No Reason to Live. That didn't bless me. Okay? And, and what are we saying? There's always somebody that thinks that somebody else is lesser. And there's always somebody that thinks I'm being mistreated. I am being taken advantage of. And, and very often that's true. But intersectionality is built upon many of the ideas in critical race theory, and it's slathered with the presupposition that everyone is, by definition, if you're, if you're breathing, you are either an oppressed one or an oppressor. And the ones who are promoting this um, understand that if you are a white male especially an older white male, never mind a short person, if you are an older white male, especially of European ancestry, you are, by definition, by nature, by birth, and by practice, you are an oppressor. And if you protest and say, no, I'm not, that proves that you are incapable of understanding the guilt of your original sin of being a white male oppressor. If you deny it, you just prove your blindness in such people's eyes. It is, it, it is, a, it is a way of, of defining perfectly legitimate words in a whole new way. This thinking, by the way, goes to the point of imputing the guilt... Now, when I say impute, that's the word we use for imputing sin and imputing righteousness. Adam's sin is credited to our account. We are guilty in Adam. Christ's righteousness is imputed, credited to our account because his righteousness is granted to us in him. This thinking imputes the guilt of ancestors onto this generation and requires that this generation has to make atonement for the sins of all the previous generations. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program.